When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Happy Monday. Fenway Rundown coming to you on February 5th. I'm Chris Cotillo. Sean McAdam is back to work after a week away in Aruba. Uh, Sean, well, kind of, because uh, you didn't come back at 100%. But, you know, it's... uh, Again, you so you're soldiering through, and and those of us uh, who co-host a pod with you, and those of us at home, they really appreciate it a lot. Well, I'm doing my best, Chris. Uh, I the price to pay upon re-entry was a uh, lingering case of COVID, which I am soldiering through, but we'll uh, we'll make do. How would the good people at home get updates on this case of COVID, and perhaps anything that the Red Sox? have done or are going to do this week? Well, it's funny you should ask that because all they have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. That is our Red Sox Insider text program. Then click the link to subscribe. There's a free 14-day trial period and then a $4.99 per month charge. Um, This way, you will not have to listen to my scratchy, husky voice for the next 20 or 25 minutes. You can just read things I write and not have to suffer through this uh, unpleasant sound. Well, we are going to have to do that as well um, because you have a lot of insight here. uh, The news that broke Friday, you are more qualified to talk about than I am, I would argue, because of your relationship with the main character involved, covering him for so many years and for those of you who are under a rock on Friday, Theo Epstein is back with the Red Sox organization. Kind of. He is a part owner. He is a uh, advisor uh, with the Red Sox as part of Fenway Sports Group. He is going to be back involved, obviously not as intimately as he was during his time as general manager from 2003 to 2011. But he has a seat at the table again. Um I think, Sean, we spent you know the majority of Friday trying to figure out exactly what that means. We put, put out a piece on Friday night detailing that for everybody that we are obviously, uh, without bias, encourage everybody to check out. Um, I would say that my reaction from the time the news was announced to the time we had our arms around his role and put that out late Friday 
my reaction or my thoughts changed a little bit. And now uh, I'm of the impression that his impact is going to be a little bit, maybe more than I thought it was going to be when I saw the press release. But just I know in uh, the return from vacation and the COVID haze, uh, you know, probably a lot of things going through your head on Friday. But just what your thoughts were knowing him so well um, about him returning and, and what this is going to look like. Yeah, well, first of all, I think like most people, I was pretty surprised by the news. Um, you know, it's no secret that Theo Epstein has long had designs to be involved in ownership of a major league team. There's been speculation that he might partner with some people on an expansion bid uh, or get together some investors and buy a club for sale. I did not think that that would involve, at least as a first step, returning to the Red Sox in any form or fashion. We knew that there was some bad blood upon his departure in 2011. Uh, there have been times where there's been a frosty relationship between Theo and in particular principal owner, John Henry. But this is pretty much evidence that, um, you know, that that has been uh, somewhat addressed and uh, taken care of. And, I think if you're a Red Sox fan, you can only look at this as a positive. Um, that Theo coming back, understanding the dynamics within Fenway Park, understanding the power structure, understanding how to work and get the best out of John Henry, I think all of those have to be seen as positives for his return. It doesn't mean that he's going to be pouring over minor league transactions and involved in any of the day-to-day minutiae, it does suggest that he is going to be a sounding board for Craig Breslow, that he can perform in that role without Breslow feeling the least bit intimidated or threatened. They have a long relationship that dates back to Breslow's first stint as a player. And obviously it was Theo Epstein who gave Breslow his first post-playing career job with the Chicago Cubs. So there is already a good relationship in place there. Uh, I think for Breslow, he should be thrilled to have uh, someone of Theo's stature and accomplishments um, to act as his sounding board, as a mentor. Um, And I, I think, as I said, just... Having someone who knows how the pieces fit on Jersey Street, who has been through the wars before, and uh, I think regardless of how you view his tenure and some of the things that happened, not all of which were great, um, this is a guy who won two World Series, very nearly another pennant uh, in his first five years on the job. He went on to win another World Championship, He's highly respected. Uh, I think we can say that he's only gained experience since leaving in 2011. Uh, I I saw some very cynical interpretations of this on social media. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, Uh, some people some people suggesting it was a PR move to act as a distraction. Some people saying I'd rather they would have spent the money on a starting pitcher. That's missing the point here. I I think the Red Sox in 2024 and beyond 
will benefit from the return of Theo Epstein. They're to to use the old political bromide. They're better off today than they were on Thursday before this was announced. And I think you can only look at this as a positive. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the best way to look at it. And, you know, titles aside, whether it be senior advisor, part owner, seat at the table, you know, this is a part-time job, as we wrote on Friday. He's not going to have a full-time office inside Fenway. He's going to mostly work out of his home in Connecticut. But having that ear, having that person to go to, um, to be whether it be a bridge between Breslow and ownership, whether it be uh, an advisor, someone to help Breslow on an official basis, None of it can hurt. And I do think no matter how limited the role is in on paper or in theory, like that's a voice that no matter if he is the general manager or a senior advisor or a part-time consultant, whatever it is, the voice is going to be loud just because of the experience and the relationships. I think that's kind of yeah. the most important thing. Right. And respected too. And yeah. I think, you know, we, we have asked the question as have others is there anyone in the organization? Was there anyone in the organization who could pound the table a little bit with John Henry and say, no, this is a year, this is a winner where we have to take some risks, we have to spend some money, and here's why. Because if we do this, then it's likely this will happen. He knows how to get John Henry's attention. Mm -hmm. He knows what's important to Henry. He knows how to reason with him to make his case to him. And he has the cachet, as it were, to have that message get through to John Henry. Uh, Sam Kennedy does not have that kind of personality. Craig Breslow does not have the experience or the resume to do it. Theo does. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the fact that John Henry respects his voice and had success while listening to it is the biggest takeaway of all of this. Yeah, another one very high on the list for me is that for Theo to have the role that they want him to, or for him to have a significant voice here, all that type of stuff, the fit with the head baseball operations chief had to be perfect because, you know, you know this as well as anybody. Like, if if this was another executive at another time or if they had hired somebody else it would have been strange and there might have been egos involved and this is not a knock personality wise but just think about if they brought in Theo as a, as a consultant with Dave Dombrowski you know like Dave is not the type of guy that's going to you know get his back up and be all worried about it but he's a guy who's you know won a lot experience you know taking all these different teams to the World Series he probably would not have liked the Theo hire and he wouldn't have trusted him. It would have always been, you know, they're, you know, they didn't have that prior relationship, whatever. Let's say they went out and hired somebody in this cycle who was experienced. Some of the names we talked about. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, Neil Huntington or, or Thad Levine here. Yeah. it, It would not have worked as well because there isn't that trust factor already, uh, established that is in place between Theo and Breslow. Um, this is the perfect uh, arrangement because Breslow, as I said, is not threatened. He's thrilled from what I hear to have Theo's uh, expertise and experience and voice on call that the, that he can uh, lean on him a little bit, ask for advice and not feel at all like 
he's undermining himself because he realizes what Theo has done and accomplished. And, you know, they have a 18 year history together. Right. And, you know, Theo, from what we can tell, was him, uh, someone who recommended Breslow and, and had his back throughout the process talking to Sam Kennedy, who was the ultimate decision maker on who get hired. So I think that's a very, very important piece of this where Breslow knowing and trusting Theo as much as he does and Theo knowing and trusting Breslow as much as he does. Theo's not going to look at him with a side eye and be like, all right, is this guy, you know, fully invested? Does he, you know, is he fully going to listen to me? And Breslow's not going to be thinking, oh, well, this is just a power play for Theo to get back into this chair. Like, I think there's that implicit trust that, again, not to call out individual names because we don't know how the dynamic worked, but we just called out a bunch of them, right? Dombrowski and some of those guys where it's just the reality of, you know, Theo was Breslow's mentor, as he was to a lot of people in the Red Sox front office over time. Uh, he was with Theo, with uh, Breslow in Chicago. There's not going to be that kind of awkwardness that might be inherent to that type of relationship. And again, if it was Dombrowski, even Heim. I mean, Heim Bloom is a guy who obviously, you know, respected Theo and probably looked at him as a bit of an idol. The whole Yale thing, um, you know, I think they are similar in some ways, but it's not like Heim and Theo had this close relationship. If this happened a year ago, two years ago, you would have been thinking, oh, you know, that that's not good news for Heim. That's not the takeaway here with Breslow at all. And I think that that is a part of this, that. This should not be understated um, at all. From what you understand, uh, how much do you believe it's going to be Red Sox for Theo Epstein compared to how much He's going to be involved in the other properties, obviously, when you're a part owner with FSG. There's a lot that comes with that. Liverpool, as we heard about last week with Dave Powell, the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have all these different golf ventures, which made a lot of news the last couple weeks. But, um, you know, I think it's my interpretation is he's going to have a little bit of a hand in everything. And his, you know, process advice can help anywhere. But this is a baseball guy with baseball experience. And at the end of the day, I think his focus should and, and probably will be here. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that he will spend more time on the Red Sox than any of the other tentacles of the FSG portfolio. That said, one of the things that really appealed to Theo from his standpoint, and let's face it, this is a guy who didn't exactly need to take this position. Um, he was employed by the commissioner's office. He still has a job with a private equity venture capital firm. Um, he is not in need of a paycheck or needing to fill up his workday. But as we noted at the beginning of the podcast, <clears throat> it's also well known that Theo has designs on being, if not the owner, then a big par part of an ownership group going forward at some point. Maybe that's an expansion team in three or four years. Maybe that's a team that goes up for sale and he puts together a group of people that he's met in the business world and becomes the point man. But what attracted him to this job, the, the challenge here was to diversify um, his skill set a little bit and test it out in other sports. So there will be some involvement with Theo and Liverpool. There will be some involvement with Theo and the Penguins. For those who aren't big hockey fans, the Penguins general manager is a young guy in his, I think probably now late 30s, Kyle Dubas, who was once sort of, 
identified as the Theo of hockey executives. He was hired to be uh, first the assistant GM and then the GM uh, of the Toronto Maple Leafs with a particular background in analytics. Uh, He's taken a unique approach to that job in that sport. And from what I understand in Pittsburgh, Dubas could not be happier than to have uh, Theo now in the under the same umbrella and uh, access to be able to pick his brain and see how some of the management approaches uh, that Theo took in baseball might be applied to hockey. So um, with an eye down the road of one day being a bigger part of an ownership group, what attracted Theo to this was to be able to diversify and experience what other sports are like. So he will have some involvement in those others. But as you noted, it's fair to say that his expertise remains in baseball and that's where he can deliver the most. Uh, Again, it's not to suggest he's going to be making waiver claims or advising, uh, you know, uh, which players to sign to non-roster contracts with invites to spring training, but for bigger moves, um, he'll provide uh, an experienced, successful, been there, done that sounding board for Breslow that I think can be invaluable. I want to get to kind of what we thought was the big takeaway as we wrote this uh, story the other night. Um, you know, not Theo's role, not the ins and outs of what he's going to be doing, but a little bit of behind the why the Red Sox and why Sam Kennedy wanted to do this. And I'll read the line that we have in the story very high. According to people with an understanding of arrangement between of the arrangement between Epstein and the Red Sox, he was brought back into the fold, at least in part, due to Red Sox ownership privately acknowledging that they have, at times, not given the club the attention it has deserved in recent years as the FSG portfolio has rapidly grown. And that that reporting, which obviously we are 100% on, is in contrast to the message, especially the message we heard about two or three weeks ago from Sam Kennedy at Winter Weekend saying, you're a liar if you think that we're not as committed. Yet, as they're making this move, as they are bringing Theo back, it is an acknowledgement, and they have uh, behind the scenes acknowledged this, that, hey, you know, we maybe have let, you know, the, the prized child get away a little bit. Um, and that is maybe not purposeful. Maybe that's just a fact of growing as fast as they have and having fires to put out in other places in Liverpool with the Penguins, PGA racing, all that type of stuff. But for an organization that I've gone on here and you have said on this podcast numerous times since the end of the season and before then, self-awareness is not a strong point that has not been for quite some time now as we sit here. Happy truck day, everyone. Um, do you look at this as kind of a self-aware step back if that, you know, is their part of their reasoning for doing it. Obviously, you know, the personal relationships with Sam and Breslow and ownership are a big reason for Theo to come back. Obviously his resume and his track record, but this being the time, because they look at it and say, all right, we've gone off the rails here. We got to get back to what made us successful. We have to improve communication, these types of things. And Theo can help us in that regard. I think it's a good step in that direction. I think it's uh, an acknowledgement that fans have been waiting for for some time. Yeah, and it is ironic, as you note, with the timing that they have been publicly saying that that was never an issue, that they remain 
completely committed to winning here and saying all the right things, but in bringing Theo back, they were tacitly acknowledging that perhaps Fenway Sports Group, which has turned into a very successful international sports marketing consortium and has expanded its reach to soccer, to hockey, to NASCAR, to golf, and everything in between with, with, let's not forget, FSG is rumored to be very interested in an expansion NBA franchise in Las Mm -hmm. Vegas. Uh, Presumably, this will only strengthen that bid, but it it is a tacit acknowledgement that while the other aspects of FSG grew and they acquired more properties and they became more powerful and more profitable, that the home base was kind of ignored or at least neglected somewhat. And it's impossible. That's a a tough pun, but we'll let it go. Yes. Um, It's it's impossible to look at the last five years and say that something hasn't gone off the rails at FSG as regards the ownership of the Red Sox. This is the flagship. This is where they started. They started with Nesson and the Red Sox, and then they added Liverpool, and then they added Roush, and then they added the Penguins, and then they added golf. But the original pilot, the original rock of the franchise that is FSG, is the Red Sox. And that is the area or uh, the holding that has suffered the most in this last five years. So mm-hmm. maybe, uh, you know, we're confusing causation with correlation. But it it certainly seems to be an acknowledgement that they have taken their eyes off the prize in their own backyard and they need to, you know, kind of get back to the garden a little bit. I think, you know, the one thing I want to point out, because this was totally, I think, misconstrued by some on Friday um, is, oh, Theo's back. They're going to spend, you know, that's 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 good in the Montgomery pursuit. That's good in the Blake Snell pursuit. I mean, I don't think that anything points to that being the case, but this is more of a long-term thing. Theo's not going to come in and set the budget, okay? And that's not happening. And from what we understand as we sit here a week before uh, we head down to spring training, still everything we've said about, you know, their plans and the lack of throttle and all that stuff still stands. But in the future, when these decisions are made, I think he's going to have an important voice. And this is more of a, you know, uh, this is not going to probably change anything in the near term right now in terms of the plans, but down the line, more than anything. Let's close with this thought because we don't want to go on too long here. This just continues, I think, a real um, push from the Red Sox this offseason, maybe not to spend on players that's been well covered, but to really beef up the infrastructure of the organization by hiring people above um you know, I, I can't remember a winter where they made more high-profile additions in the front office coaching ownership sphere. Um, you know, as I wrote and we talked about earlier, the you know the organization argues that they spend in the top five in baseball in terms of the whole baseball operation that involves everybody and all the equipment and everything, and that's something to explore at a later date. But Kyle Body uh, from Driveline joining the group of Justin Willard from the Twins on the pitching side, Andrew Bailey. Um, you know, those are some, some pretty significant hires just on the pitching side. Theo Epstein now joins FSG, obviously Breslow to start it all off. Um, 
you know, there could be more front office stuff going on. Obviously, they promoted Taboni, and it just seems like there is some moving and shaking to try to get, you know, the most out of that group, even if they're not uh, spending on the field. The questions I would give on that are, you know, is that significant and how significant is it compared to if you just don't have the talent then does it matter at all or can the infrastructure the people elevate uh, the on-field product that significantly well the chicago cubs would tell you that it is very important and point to the job done in part by craig breslow which greatly improved the cubs pitching development program to the point where when he was hired the Cubs pitching program was probably about where the Red Sox are now, which is to say not very successful. We know that other than Brian Bayo, that there has not been a homegrown starter developed here who had some success unless you go back to somebody like Clay Buckholtz and John Lester. And that's a while. And, um, I think in the short term, you may see some improvement from the likes of Hauk and Whitlock and Crawford and some of the guys who may be in the bullpen, maybe in the rotation, maybe a little bit of both. But long term, um, you know, they have to get to the point where they have almost as many or as many high end pitching prospects in their organization as they do position players. I was talking to somebody in the game, not too uh not too long ago who said if you were talking about rankings that the Red Sox would be top five or six with position players but with starting pitching prospects they might be 29th or 30th Mm -hmm. and it's hard to have that sustainability and that continued success and contention every year unless you start developing pitching on your own you can't go out and spend 150 to 200 million dollars on a free agent every winter you can't no 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 worries there right they they, need to be a threat they followed that to a t yeah uh you can't strip mine your uh your player development system and inventory of prospects to trade for pitchers you have to do it on your own. And to the degree that they now have a completely new program in place with different people heading this up and overseen by Theo and some people who have had success in that role, I think is a positive. We're not going to make Sean McAdam talk anymore on this Monday because it's, uh, we're, Good. you know, yeah, we, it, we're only a few words away from the voice completely going out. Actually, though, you are going to tease the uh, Rundown Insider text in a minute. But do want to mention one thing that will be on the site this week. We'll talk about it on the pod later on. Or I should say Sean will be talking about it on the pod uh, later on this week. But Chris Smith, our uh, wonderful co-beat writer, is doing the top 25 prospects rankings for the first time in a long time mass live at least as long as i can remember he is putting out his own rankings no one more qualified to do that smitty pays very close attention to the minor league system as everybody knows who reads them with the wednesday notebook and and coverage throughout the season and off season but today he started that with prospects 21 through 25 we'll have 16 through 20 tomorrow 11 through 15 on wednesday thursday 6 through 10 and then his top five uh, in which way he will rank the big three. I am not sure on Friday, February 9th. So um, he will be busy writing those top 25 prospects. Again, not something I can remember us doing. So a cool project to see him dig his teeth into. That's on the site. You know about the podcast. And now one more time, Sean, where do the good people get access to texting us all day, every day? 
Yep. For the Red Sox Insider Text Program, simply text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257, then click the link to subscribe. It begins with a free 14-day trial period. After that, $4.99 a month, you can exchange questions and comments with us, supply questions for our mailbag podcast editions, and most importantly, you don't have to listen to me anymore. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.